0: The Women's Football Podcast, shining a light on the women's game.
1: Hello, welcome along to the Women's Football Podcast. I'm your host. Hamish, and alongside me, as always, is Kieran. Say hello.
0: Hello, mate. Happy St. Patrick's Day weekend to you.
1: Oh, thank you very much.
0: You behaved yourself? I have. I have. No Guinness yet, mate, but I'm sure I'll have a sneaky one over the course of the week.
1: Why is it that every single introduction I have to do with you, I have to ask if you're behaving yourself?
0: I don't know, because I'm normally not, but on this occasion I have
1: been. (laughs) Very good, very good. Right, we have a packed out show, as per usual. A couple of interviews on the way, one of which is with... Jerry Smith, who is the head coach at Santa Clara University. Now, for those of you who watch the draft very closely, you'll notice that a couple of players were drafted, particularly by the Chicago Red Stars, who are from Santa Clara University. So he's a man who knows the collegiate system inside out. So we've got a little chat with him. We've also got, speaking of the Red Stars, Leslie Osborne, who, of course, recently announced her retirement. So Kieran caught up with her just to have a little chat about her career. We've got reaction from the Cyprus Cup and the Algarve Cup, and we'll have a little chat about how the respected teams got on. Tiroso are in a spot of bother out in Sweden, and that will be part of our Euro roundup. So, uh, Kieran and I think we'd better get going. The Women's Football Podcast would like to thank our partners. Want more women's football? Subscribe to She Kicks Magazine at shekicks.net. And the Women's Football Podcast is part of the Soccer Desk Network. thesoccerdesk.com. The well, Kieran, uh, social media has been dominated by both the Cyprus Cup and the Algarve Cup. And it was really good for the home nations. And I'm going to include Ireland in that, particularly in the Cyprus Cup, because England got to the final. OK, they lost, but still got to the final. And Scotland were undefeated, apart from uh, penalties, and, and so were Ireland in their group. So fantastic efforts all round
0: Yeah, I think we can take a lot from it. I think the, the teams do take it seriously, they look at it as a serious tournament. England obviously won it last year. They were picked to the post this time round, But I think what we got from it, from the various social media posts and reports that came out of it, is that it's a very happy England camp. You know, lots of banter, lots of photos going up on Twitter. So that, as much as the results on the pitch, I think is really important going forward. But lots of different players tried. Leanne Sanderson obviously returned had a good um, good tournament, scored a couple of goals against Canada. I think actually one of them was chalked off for another one. Yeah,
1: job. yeah, Just, got put down as an own goal, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, shame that one, shame. But, you know, she's still, she still managed to bag in that game. And I think, you know, lots, as I said, lots of different players tried out. And,
1: uh, yeah, I'm going to give a quick shout-out to Alex Greenwood. Congratulations on your senior debut. Sorry, I had to do that.
0: Yeah, and obviously Lizzie Jurak as well yeah, made, yeah. Her, made her debut coming on as a sub. and it was good to see players such as Carly Telford, one of our bloggers, back in the England ranks as well. So yeah. I think overall, Mark Samson will be pretty pleased. Yes, they lost to France in the final, but let's be honest, we always lose to France at the moment. So, <laughs> um,
1: we'll get them one day.
0: We, we will. We will beat France one day, and uh, I look forward to that day. But uh, they're a class act, aren't they? But, yeah, they uh, are, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, let's talk about Scotland. And fantastic efforts from them, as I said, undefeated, and they only got put out by South Korea on penalties, which is no uh, no great shame in that.
0: No, and we were talking about France being a class act. Scotland actually held them to a draw in their group, which is a hell of a result. And actually, it was only a known goal that helped France level it. So and that was
1: that was late on as well, wasn't it, I think?
0: It was fairly, sort of, I think it was midway through the second half. So, yeah, it was. Hmm. They, they held on for quite a while. And, and that's not an easy task against the French. So, Scotland certainly... You know, did themselves a, a load of good in that game and they obviously beat Holland as well and they beat Australia and we know Australia well from the work that we do with the women's game. They've got a lot of good young players, Sam Kerr, Steph Catley, you know, Katrina Gory, and they managed to overcome them as well so lots of positives for, for Scotland and a couple of hat-tricks in there as well for Jane Ross and Lisa Evans so yeah, lots to be positive about. Yeah, absolutely.
1: had to show their character against Holland as well. We put up a very stubborn fight in Scotland's 4-3 win there. And Ireland, undefeated in their group, and they had South Korea, the Swiss, and New Zealand. And they're all handy as well.
0: They are handy sides, and I think, more than anything, Ireland will will gain a lot of experience from it. We know that they've got some players that play in the WSL, but uh, there would be players I'd be the first to admit that I wouldn't know and to to come away undefeated in that group. That's a lot to be positive about, and I'm sure that they will push on from there.
1: Absolutely. Uh, However, we've got to... uh talk about a, a bit of an unsavoury incident when they played Canada.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, it's difficult for us to go into too much detail. We can only go on what we've heard on social media and we know a few people that were out there. But for anyone that didn't see it, allegedly the, the Canadian manager John Herdman was, by Emma Burns' description of the Canadian side, lacking in class. My understanding is that they may be over-celebrated a little bit when they won the game. No one minds people celebrating when a win occurs. We all like to to get a victory, but there are certain ways of handling it, especially when you're playing teams that are considerably lower ranked than yourselves. Um, But also, Ireland have a player who has a a bit of a bullet throw. And from what we heard is that John Herbman was continuously standing in her way when she was trying to take throw-ins that she can launch from quite a distance into the box. And we don't want to hear about things like that. I mean, Canada are a very good side. They're very well respected with some world-class players. You know, why are they doing things like that? I don't really understand. And, you know, this was supported by some people that I've spoken to who are in the stands. And Emma Byrne obviously tweeted as well that she wasn't happy about it. And it's a shame because Canada have got some brilliant players and you don't want to hear about things like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Right, let's uh, switch our attentions to the Algarve Cup and Kieran, the United States seems to have gone a little bit crazy because they had a bit of a poor tournament.
0: Yeah, we'll talk about the US in a minute mate because I want to talk about the the kind of backlash that escalated on Twitter but I think first of all congratulations to Germany who overcame every challenge that was put in front of them, brilliant performance in the final, obviously it was nil-nil at half time but scored about 30 seconds into the second half through Nadine Kessler, who'd literally just come on as a substitute. And then, obviously, Anya Mittag and Jennifer Marajan both added goals in the final as well. So, Japan are obviously world champions. They they play the ball beautifully around the park. And for Germany to overcome them 3-0, it, that's an achievement. And for them, that sends a, a big message out to the other teams, not only in the Algarve Cup, but to the rest of the world as yeah, well. Yeah,
1: particularly with the World Cup coming up next year.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, the the Cyprus Cup is brilliant. I really like the Cyprus Cup, but for me, the Algarve Cup is a lot stronger. You've got Japan, you've got Sweden, you've got Denmark, you've got Norway. There's some big nations in there, and for Germany to come out on top, that's a statement. And as you said, you know, the United States did underperform.
1: Absolutely, and and that obviously provoked a reaction. You know, people were calling for Pierre Sanhage to come back.
0: Yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? I mean, the, the game against Sweden that they lost in their group, which the Swedes won 1-0, lots of people on on Twitter overreacting and saying, oh, you know, Pearson Haag should come back, and it was, you know, 42-game, unbeaten run brought to an end. I mean, come on. 42 <laughs> games about a defeat, that is called being spoiled. There are no other nations that get those sort of statistics and those sort of runs, and Defeats make you appreciate the victories, and I know that the American players won't be happy with their performance. Which you know as well as I do, and, and they don't need people ranting and raving on social media saying this and saying that about how poor they were and how managers need to change or tactics need to change. You know, they they've not exactly been too bad before this tournament. Granted, they haven't had the biggest of tests when you look at the teams they've played, like Russia. But this is a world class side with world class players from. Front to back, and I tell you what, most of those players would walk into most of the other nations. So, what I would say to our American followers is, is don't panic, don't worry, it's, it's gonna get as good as it was just a couple of weeks ago. It's just a blip. But
1: do you know what? If anything, it's a good thing because you know, recent results could have papered over some cracks that were brutally exposed in this tournament. So, now the management can look at that, assess what's you know, there's something that perhaps they've missed previously. It's opened their eyes to that. They can bring in players or change players or change the system to adapt to these different types of opposition. So actually, it probably might work out to be quite a good thing. And particularly yeah. particularly to get those results out of the way now. Best to do it in the Algarve than do it in, in Canada in 2015.
0: Yeah, agreed. And OK, people will look at the Denmark game that America lost 5-3 and it was just crazy. You know, It was one of those games that will never happen to the US for, for the next few years. It was... The first time they've ever conceded five in a competitive match. And I don't think we'll see that happening again. Tom Somani tried a few different players in different positions. He didn't play the same strike force, I don't think, in the in the games that they played. And Let's not forget, they had a few players missing. Alex Morgan wasn't there. Tobin Heath was in the squad, but I'm not sure if she made an appearance. He tried players out, like Christy Mewis and Sam Mewis, who maybe don't get as much of an opportunity as, they, as other players do. So look at it as a trial for some players that were maybe not on the in the starting eleven more often than not, it's an opportunity to try different things out, to try different players. Yes, it's an important tournament, but it's not a World Cup. It's not an Olympic Games, so I don't see it being a massive issue.
1: Absolutely right. Let's introduce our first interview of the show. And Kieran, I know you um, enjoyed speaking to this man.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, we've just all been talking about America, and for anyone that listened to our last show, we were talking about the difference between bringing through young players and signing players from overseas, specifically for England, but we also brought it into the American discussion as well. Now, Jerry Smith is uh, the head coach of the women's team at Santa Clara University. He's been there for 27 years, and he's just signed a new 10-year contract. So this man knows his women's football, he knows the collegiate system, and I wanted to learn a little bit more and I managed to catch him on a brief visit over to the UK. So here he is. Okay, so I'm delighted to be joined by Jerry Smith, the head coach of the women's team at Santa Clara University, who has just signed a new 10 year contract with the university, but has been there for 27 years. Jerry, let's start off by talking to you about what your decision was and why you decided to make that commitment to the university after so long already.
2: Well, I think uh, in the end it ended up being an easy decision for me. Um, I started uh, 27 years ago, 1987, and, you know, the program I took over was, um, you know, my my salary, if you call that, was $2,400 for the year in 1987 and i had no assistant coaches no scholarship money and the program was basically a recreational program and wasn't involved in recruiting players or trying to win anything necessarily so we took that program and turned it into arguably one of the top five or ten programs in the country in division one soccer so we've been to ten final fours that's second most in the country um, we've won a national championship um, The team that uh, really dominates collegiately is the North Carolina Tar Heels, and in the last 15 years, we've beat them more than they've beat us. And um, you know, I I say that out of complete respect for Anson Dorrance and the University of North Carolina. You know, you almost you're almost more proud of a win against North Carolina than you are of winning the championship. They're so great. You know, but uh, we've been able to have a lot of success and. the university supported our program to the tune of uh, fourteen scholarships for our program and three full- time coaches and uh, you know I uh, had other opportunities um, recently you know uh, was uh, being considered for other jobs and uh, the university was aware of that and and at fifty three we talked about trying to come up with something that would have me just end my career uh, at santa Clara and um, In the end, I ended up signing a 10 year contract and they've made some improvements to our program. And one of the other interesting things for me is they're allowing me to start this thing that I've really wanted to do for a number of years now. And that's what they're calling the Jerry Smith Coaching for Life Academy, which we'll do through our school of education. And we'll build a master's program in sports leadership and other things that we'll do in that program. But I think at the end of the day, um, never wanting to leave Santa Clara in the first place to have the university step up in such a way that says we care about you, we care about your program, we care about women's soccer and women's athletics um, was something that you know was too great to walk away from. So I'm happy to say I'm at Santa Clara, and as I said in the press conference right after signing, you know, I'm a Bronco for life, we're the Santa Clara Broncos, and so I'm a Bronco for life, and really, really happy about that. And you know, to 37 years at one place, if it ends up being that, is pretty remarkable. And so, um, you know, I'm I'm very thrilled about that and looking forward to this next 10 years. Yeah, hell of a commitment that you've made there. I guess for us
0: in the UK, we're not overly familiar with the collegiate system. From your perspective, what's the most important aspect of your job? Is it to develop players that can win games and win championships? Or are you thinking long-term, hoping that, you can develop players that can potentially go on to represent their country at youth levels and maybe even at the senior level.
2: Yeah, I think we've tried to dovetail several several different uh, ideals at Santa Clara. You know, the university has its own mission and vision and core values, and uh, we certainly try to fit into that as a women's soccer program, and that would be, you know, whether that be community service or um developing citizens and leaders of compassion you know which is important to the jesuits would run our university those are things that are very important to me and to our program uh, for sure Uh, certainly to have our students graduate and i'm happy to say in 27 years we have a 100 percent graduation rate of the women's soccer team from santa clara university that's certainly important um but what's also been very important to me is to be able to create a program that would have a chance to win championships but to win in a certain way you know um to play a certain way and um we've been very committed to the way that we want to play and that's maybe different than many of the college teams play in the united states you know that we try to keep the ball and we try to move the ball and we've been able to create a certain identity in the way that we play so um Certainly, I, I think my responsibility is to help student athletes develop a skill set, life skills, if you will, that will put them on a path of success and happiness after college, whether that's on the pitch or off the pitch. Um, and I think we've done a nice job of that, but I think we've been able to accomplish our goals and win games and win championships and put players into the pro league and in fact put players onto our national team. And so I think we found a way to accomplish all the different things that Santa Clara University would want us to win and not sacrificing any one element, whether it be winning or education or community service. I think we've been able to put a nice blend together for our student athletes.
0: You mentioned winning games there. I think you're one of only a handful of coaches that have got over 400 career wins in the college system. What's the biggest challenge for a player who's trying to balance their education and obviously their playing and for a coach that has to accommodate those commitments that they have to their education as well as to their soccer?
2: Yeah, it is a big challenge. You know, there are only three of us that have won over 400 games at the Division One level. And, uh, you know, and I've never been embarrassed about winning. I've never tried to shy away from winning. And I don't think you need to sacrifice anything to win games you know education style of play or or anything so um, but there are certainly many challenges Um, we have many at Santa Clara University it's $60,000 a year to go to school at Santa Clara University and so you know uh, we don't give out full ride scholarships very regularly so the balance of paying for the cost falls on the parents and the family that's certainly very challenging Santa Clara has very high academic standards and uh, just to be admitted to the university in a class of only 1,200 students a year is not an easy thing. It's not like I'm going to the director of admissions and saying, I need this player, go ahead and accept them. That's not the way it works at Santa Clara. So uh, there are certainly admissions challenges. There are financial challenges. Um, uh, you know, we all we have some additional challenges in the fact that Santa Clara University would be what most... People around the United States would call a uh, mid-major. So we don't have the resources. We don't have the money of, say, the super conferences. You know, uh, we have a big debate going on about the five power conferences in the United States want to be able to do more for their players and more for their teams because they have deeper pockets. That's not Santa Clara. So. We have fewer resources, we have higher academic standards and higher financial hurdles to get over in order to put a team together. So the recruiting of the exact right student-athlete to Santa Clara is more challenging than it might be at a different place. And I'm not saying that we're the only university that would have those type of challenges, but we certainly have more challenges than most places when putting a team together.
0: Now, in a recent show, myself and Hamish, my co-host, discussed the debate between NWSL clubs bringing in international players, i.e. players from abroad, and the opportunities that young American players will have as a result of that. But we discussed the fact that college players obviously get the opportunity to develop, and, and there are a number that have made it into the national side, Morgan Bryan being an example. Is that something that you, as a coach, recognize and feel you have a responsibility to help players fulfill their potential and obviously you're looking primarily to try and win games for the university but i guess at the back of your mind you're thinking if i've got a talent here i'm looking to push her on so she can gain international honors
2: without question in fact that's a big part of um i think santa Clara's reputation is that we can help you move on to a professional team or in fact the national team should you have that ability one of our current senior players, Julie johnson uh, has um, you know eight or nine caps now for our full team and was the captain of our u twenty team that won the u20 World Cup beat Germany in the final and in doing so she won the bronze ball at the u20 World Cup so I think Julie, you know like a lot of talented players, was recruited by nearly all of the top programs in the country and um, chose to come to Santa Clara n- i think in part because of our reputation at helping players go on that have the potential to play for the for the full team we've put many players onto our full team and um one of the one of the attractions of santa clara university for the young player is the reputation we have in certainly trying to win games and championships but also feeling responsible to a a greater calling, which is to grow the game and to grow the game at our pro level and an international level. And, um, you know, having coached for U.S. soccer, I've I've coached our under 21 national team and have great contacts with U.S. soccer and our full team coach, Tommy Sermani, and uh, the national team coaches, I think that really, that ability to have conversations with them about our players um, and to have their ear and uh, to be someone who has a reputation of being trusted. If I recommend a player to go to a camp, you know, they're they're going to do well. They may not make the team, of course, that's up to the coach. But to know that I can recommend players and they can go into camp um, is, I think, part of what attracts young players to Santa Clara University.
0: Well, I guess I'd finish off by sort of... Uh, Talking about the players that have made it as professionals into the NWSL, um, we mentioned Julie Johnston, um, Morgan Marlborough was of course drafted by FC Kansas City, Marna Shim is currently playing with Portland Thorns. How proud does it make you seeing those players leave your university and going on to, to really make a name for themselves in the professional competition?
2: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, uh, feather in our cap, t- so to speak. And uh, we have, again, a long history of doing so. And, you know, uh, in all three of the leagues, you know, um, in, the, in the inaugural d- WSA, some of our players were allocated players, Nikki Serlinga and Mandy Clemens. And at one time in the in original WSA, we had a, at least one player on every team in the league, you know. And uh, f- now for this newest league NWSL uh, to have Meliana Shem be a starting player on the championship team uh, in the inaugural year was certainly exciting. Julie Johnson was taken third overall by Chicago. Morgan Marlborough was taken 12th overall. And for Morgan, it's a wonderful story because in playing for FC Kansas City, she's playing in her hometown. She grew up in Kansas City. So it's a great story. But I think that is just adding to our history of helping players make it to the next level and those players will do not only play in the league but they'll be impact players in the league and they'll do well and uh, in doing so they continue the reputation of santa Clara as being a place that will help you develop to a higher level should that be in your potential and um, they'll help kind of carry that story forward for us
0: jerry thank you for joining us on the show congratulations again on your new contract with the university and we will certainly be keeping an eye on the talent that comes out of your college and we wish you the very best
2: in developing your country's future talent well thanks very much for having you on the show and uh, you know go Broncos
0: the women's football podcast follow the podcast on twitter at WFpod
2: Right, so that was uh, Joey
1: Smith talking about the college draft system out in the NWSL. Kieran, let's have a little look at the situation out in Europe. And there's a bit of a kerfuffle at Tiraso. Tell us more.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. It broke this week that Tiraso have entered administration. They have debts of about £735,000, which is about $1.1 $1. 1 million. And due to entering administration, their accounts were made public and revealed some very interesting figures about some of the salaries that players are being paid, Marta being the highest at £190,000 a year but we've obviously seen a lot on social media but we wanted to speak to someone who's actually based out in Sweden so we are very fortunate to have Linda Ericsson, who's based out in Stockholm. So Linda, thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: So could you tell us a little bit more about the situation at Tiraso? We've obviously seen a lot on social media but you're based out there. What's been the reaction to, to the situation?
3: Well, they've entered debt restructuring, I think it's called, Uh, and it basically means that a lawyer has taken over their finances and will try to make sure that they don't go bankrupt. This has not been received very kindly in the press. There's a lot of criticism that they haven't handled their finances. And basically they face a demotion after this season. So even if they win, they could be demoted ahead of next year.
1: Where would they be demoted to?
3: The, the league below is called Il Deton. That's where they would play instead.
1: Okay. And I'm pronouncing that
0: after a few beers,
1: I <laughs> Yeah, no chance. Uh, so that would suggest that perhaps they're going to start uh, shipping players like Marta who are on big money.
3: Yep. Yeah, perhaps at the same time, Marta probably brings with her a lot of sponsors, okay. whereas other players, like perhaps Vero Bucchetti, who makes almost as much as Marta, she might not have the same amount of sponsors. Right. Well, what
0: happen? Does it affect their Champions League campaign in any way?
3: No, it doesn't.
0: Is it a big deal? I mean, we saw a lot of reaction on social media, especially around Marta's salary. And I know that mm-hmm. before we before we spoke to you on this show, you were talking about actually the money that she was earning out in America a few years ago.
3: Yeah, from what I've heard, I haven't heard any numbers, but what I've heard is that her salary was much higher while she was playing in the United States. And what, when she joined, so she took a quite large pay cut.
0: Is her salary considerably higher than the average player gets paid in Sweden? I don't know. Other than the figures that we've seen for Tirso, I
4: wouldn't know the sort of Um,
0: salaries that they get paid in, like Rosengard or um, or You know, what's how how much higher is it than the average salary in Sweden?
3: The average salary is eleven thousand. That's about seventeen hundred dollars. And Marta's salary is one hundred and sixty-eight thousand Swedish. So she makes about a hundred and fifty thousand more than an average player. Well, every, I think when I saw the list, every single player at choose, except one, earns more than the average salary in the league as a whole.
1: Right, so it's not just the, the kind of marquee players, it's all the players who are getting more than the average. Yes. No wonder they're in trouble.
0: I mean what now for them going forward how will they have they said anything about how they're going to try and address the problem
3: they haven't really um, they've just basically said that they're going to well since this doesn't affect the Champions League they're going to focus on that I guess and leave the finances to this lawyer but what I found interesting was um, Tirsa made a plan back in 2005 when they were in Division Three. That by 2010 they would be back in Damasenskan. Two years later they were going to win the league, and this year they would be competing for the Champions League trophy. All of those things have come true. So I think perhaps when they signed these four new Brazilian players in January, they explicitly said that their plan had entered the final few months and I wonder if the primary issue isn't that they have been so caught up in this plan that has been going so well that they just put too much into it. It wasn't logical probably to sign so many players with such high salaries even if if sponsors hadn't pulled out. They were so wrapped up in this plan that
1: they didn't
3: care probably.
1: Well, we've heard that a lot in the men's game, haven't we? So that that sounds fairly logical. But, are, you know, is, is that plan, uh, as you said, obviously that plan has come to fruition, but surely they must have started planning for the next phase or the next few years.
3: They said that too, but I just found it interesting that they very explicitly said that their plan had entered its final few months. So this was a seven-year plan that they had and probably they haven't thought quite far enough and focused (laughs) enough on the future.
1: Certainly Uh, one to keep an eye on there. Kieran, any more to add on that?
0: No, absolutely not. I'd just like to thank Linda for coming on and obviously we will have more from her when the Dammelsvenskan starts because Linda is going to be our correspondent out in Sweden. So Linda, thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: Okay, that's the latest in Sweden and we're delighted to have Brian McGuire back who's going to give us the lowdown on everything going on over in Germany.
4: The winter break is over in Germany and women's football is back in 2014. There have been a few twists and turns in the Bundesliga title race already, but we start with the story of Sylvia Knight's German team at the Algarve Cup. With four wins from four games, Germany duly lifted their third title in Portugal, but it's the manner in which they went about it which most impressed outside observers. Sylvia Knight's tactics were very, very clear. High-pressing, attacking, direct into feet around the box. They visually overwhelmed their opponents in Portugal. And ominously still, they managed to maintain that high-intense game plan throughout 90 minutes in all four games. Sylvia Knight was also able to exploit the full contingent of her squad without any dropping quality on the pitch. Tabia Kemmer managed to come in for the final and didn't look out of place at all. Josefina Henning could also come back from injury and there was no difference in the result. Jennifer Marajan proved herself to be one of the most exciting talents again, another player of the tournament award for her, and some pretty spectacular goals to enjoy as well. Not everything ran smoothly for the Germans in the Algarve, however. Leonie Meyer, one of 2013's breakthrough young stars for the national team, tore her cruciate ligament just before the final with Japan. She will miss the rest of Bayern Munich season, and they can feel forgiven for feeling cursed. They have also lost Laura Feierzinger, who broke her ankle in the Algarve playing for Austria. The Algarve Cup also caused some discontent amongst managers in the Bundesliga. Bernd Schroeder and Colin Bell, managers of Potsdam and Frankfurt, were not impressed at being asked to play a league game just three days after the return from the Algarve. Potsdam got lucky with the schedule, however. They had to play Sindelfingen at home. The 12-0 victory did wonders for their goal difference, but with three wins out of three since the return from the winter break, Potsdam have been going well, if not playing very well. They also won two indoor titles in January. Frankfurt, on the other hand, they had the unfortunate situation of having to travel to Essen, one of the hardest away games in the Bundesliga. 1-1 with time ticking out, Kosovo andis scored a late, late winner for Frankfurt, a goal which could have huge significance in the title race. Kralvo Wolfsburg also returned with a victory, but they had a setback before the Algarve Cup break. They lost 3-1 away to Bayern Munich and are now four points off second place. The reigning champions have also had some criticism from the board. But Volkswagen want more from their team and it's a good and positive sign that they care and want more from them. We now head into the hectic part of the season, with Potsdam travelling to Duisburg on Wednesday with a chance of getting back to the top of the table. And then from Saturday, it's Champions League time again, with Potsdam and Wolfsburg playing opponents from Spain and Italy, and both favour to go through to play each other in the semi-final. The upshot of these four extra games on an extra busy schedule means it plays into the hands of Frankfurt, who have a chance to build up a commanding lead and take them closer to their first title for six years. At the other end of the table, however, it's Kloppenborg with ex-Chelsea players Esther and Sophia Jakobsen who find themselves in trouble. With Sindelfingen doomed from the start, it's between Kloppenborg and Hoffenheim, the promoted teams from last season, as to who will join them back down in the second division. At the moment, a three-point gap has opened up between them and it's going to be difficult for them to close that gap between now and June.
1: So a massive thanks to Brian Maguire, welcoming him back on the show because he's sat out a few and we've missed him. Right, Kieran, let's tee up our last interview and uh, this is one of yours, I think.
0: Yeah, so as you said in our intro, Leslie Osborne, who is a former US Women's National Team International, former Under-19 World Cup winner, announced her retirement this week at the age of 30, which is younger than me, so that makes me feel really old. But she <laughs> You are really old. To, <laughs> she's decided to hang up her boots. And I wanted to find out what she's got planned going forward, talk a little bit about what was a pretty decent career. So here she is. Okay, so I'm privileged to be joined by former US Women's National Team star Leslie Osborne, who this week announced her retirement from the game. Leslie, thanks for joining us on the show. First question I have to ask is, Why is it that you've now decided to announce your retirement when really you could probably still have a few more years in the game if you chose to? Well, first
5: of all, thanks for having me. Um, It's great to be on the show. And, uh, yeah, it's been an interesting week. Um, I knew about six months ago that I probably played in my last game as a professional. And um, I felt it was the right time um, in my life and my career to walk away. Uh, I'm healthy, I had a good season, I'm, I'm happy, everything's good. It's it's about the timing of if I'm not 100% committed in my heart to be on that field, especially as a captain, that it was time to walk away. And I've been preparing for the moment that I'm done playing in the last few years. And the time has come when I have opportunities that I can't pass up. And, and life has carried on and it has brought me back to Northern California where I went to college. And, with my loved one and and ready to start my post soccer career so a lot of it's about timing and you know I wanted to go out knowing that I tried to do as much as I can to impact the game and know that even though I'm retiring and I won't be on the field anymore that I'm going to do whatever I can to help the game grow and and be involved as much as I can.
0: Was it a difficult decision on the back of the fact that the NWSL is a year into its Formation. Um, obviously, the the leagues in the states have been a bit stop-start. With two previous leagues starting and then obviously collapsing. Was it a difficult decision based on the fact that women's soccer is at a good point at the moment in the states? Yeah, it actually makes it a little bit more easier to know
5: that that league is in good hands and the ownership groups and what U.S. soccer has done and is going to continue to do. I know this league is going to last for a long time and my goal was as a professional is to make sure that the league is there for young girls that want to play professional soccer one day and I can with all my heart that this league is going to be around, and I feel really good about it, and for me to walk away to know that there is a stable league, that makes it easier. Um, Being part of the WPS and the way that it happened, that was really difficult, and to see so many people affected, um, both, you know, staff players people all around the country and and be affected by that. that was difficult and I did what I could you know in my power to try to help bring a league back and it's back and U.S. soccer and the ownership group is great and it's only going to get bigger and stronger and, and to walk away now yeah it's hard to not play with certain players and to be part of a league um you know especially with all these internationals coming over I mean of course that's exciting um But I feel very privileged and lucky to be part of two leagues and to be able to walk away and know that this league will be around. That's also a really good feeling.
0: You obviously represented the Chicago Red Stars last season. At what point would you say that you realised, do you know what, it's time for me to call it a day?
5: Yeah, um, you know, a lot of my teammates have known the last few years that I've thought about retiring. Um, I've been interested and involved in in numerous um, things and, you know, I've always known that there's more to me than just being a soccer player, and it was going to be all about kind of timing. And I figured, you know, playing in Boston was amazing. The Boston Breakers were a class act in every way. And my decision to come to Chicago was purely a personal decision to be close to my family and my loved one, and to play for my club coach. And I'm really happy that I got to end my career kind of where it all started. I started playing club soccer in Chicago for the same coach I just ended my career in. So. Uh, For me, I knew going into that season that it was uh, most likely going to be my last year, and I enjoyed a lot of it, and I gave what I could, again, knowing that this could be the last time I'm on the field and tried to impact the game and the people around me in any way I could and and to take away everything I can from all the experiences that I've had. So it was a nice, fitting way for me to retire to end my career in Chicago.
0: What do you think you're going to miss most about being involved in the game as as much of as much of it on the pitch is it the the antics that the players got up to off of it as well?
5: Yeah, I'm gonna miss the girls. I'm gonna miss the relationships and friendships that I've had. Um, you know, I've I've been able to play with so many different groups of girls and from ages, you know, twenty one to. You know, 39, 40, and I've always kind of been a tweener, and I've loved every minute of it, and I think what I, I already miss is just knowing that I'm not going to be with them every day. I loved... Loved having that um, those relationships every day at practice and, and stuff. Um, but knowing me and, and most of my teammates and former teammates know that I stay in touch pretty well. And, you know, the, the friendships that matter, those won't go away. And I'll be involved in the game uh, with TV and with other things I'm doing that I'm going to be seeing the girls. But, you know, right now the girls are in preseason texting me. And, you know, I'm still curious what's going on. And, you know, I just miss seeing them every day. But I also was craving other practices to my life that I wasn't able to have
0: when I was playing Well let's look back at your career a kind of this is your life type style feature, it all sort of started at Santa Clara University we have Jerry Smith uh, on this show as well and I know that he was a a coach that you highly respect and someone that you've described as one of the best coaches you've worked with I mean how important was he in developing your game and really giving you that appetite to really go on and, and push on in your career? Uh, gosh, that's an extremely large
5: amount. Um, coming from Wisconsin, he recruited me. Um, no one from Wisconsin was going out to California to play Division One soccer at a dream school like Santa Clara. He took a chance on me. He knew what I brought to the table every day, and he brought me here. And. He didn't know, and I didn't know I would play for the U.S. team one day. That wasn't my dream and hope. That was something he really made me believe. You know, Leslie. By the end of your career, during your career, you're going to play for the U.S. national team one day. And more importantly, I—you're I, a leader, and I'm going to make you into the best leader that you can become. And as a freshman, you know, to to play and start on a, you know, one of the best teams in the country, and to have the role I had, and to win a national championship, and. My sophomore year, he was already having me in leadership groups with the captains. And, you know, the the, the player I turned into and he helped me become is, is something I'll never forget. But more importantly, um, he just really motivated me to become the best person I could be and the best leader I could be on and off the field. And I and I can't thank him enough. And now I'm, I'm blessed to see him at work every day. And I tell him this all the time. But... I'm very thankful for what he did for my soccer career, but, you know, what he did for me to uh, develop me into a better person and a leader, that's something that is beyond uh, what I ever thought uh, could happen for me coming here to college.
0: Now, on our last show, we were discussing the American soccer system, and one of the things we were talking about was the collegiate system and how young players in the States get an opportunity to really develop how important was it for you to play in a good good college side? We see the likes of Morgan Bryan who are currently in the U.S. setup, who uh-huh. are still in college. How important is it, do yeah. you think, the college system in the States in developing players and giving them a sort of stepping stone to the next level?
5: I think it's really important. I think my freshman year is probably the most critical year of my career to play with Danielle Slayton and Allie Wagner and um, Devin Hawkins. These players who were my mentors, my captains, my leaders to push me to a point that I didn't know I could be pushed, um, to have me play the speed of play I had to play at and to show me every day, in and out, what the best players in, in, the, in the country play, um, And to have a coach like Jerry, who demanded the best, but his way of coaching and style is different than a lot of coaches in the college game. We didn't run a lot of fitness. We didn't get on the line and run our butts off. It was all about playing, moving the ball, technically being the best player I could be. he also encouraged us to play multiple positions. In my first two years, I played center forward. In the last two years, I played central mid. And for me to go into a system that taught me how to be a better soccer player, not how hard I could run or not how fit I could be or not how competitive I was, those were things that we got throughout our training sessions. But he made... Santa Clara soccer for me was exactly what I needed. It was a top-level soccer. It was teaching us how to play the game in a very pretty possession-style type of soccer and to go forward with a purpose. And uh, some of the technical things I learned in college as a freshman that, you know, coming on to the national team five years ago and seeing that girls still didn't know how to do, that's when I knew that, you know, I, I went to a great school and learned from the best coach I've ever had is, how to, you know, hit a ball with your instep, and how to use the outside of your feet and bend balls into players' space and all those technicality things that players didn't get a chance to learn from. So it's really important to have a good college career and a college coach that progresses your game and, and be in an environment that pushes you and makes you the best player you can be. Because I can say that. I can say that coming in as a freshman and leaving as a senior, the impact and growth that I had from who came
0: before me was huge. Well, it obviously worked because you won the Under-19 World Cup. And then obviously you then go on to make your full U.S. Women's National Team debut, I believe it was in 2004, against Sweden. And please do correct me if I'm wrong. Tell me about your debut and and how special it was to pull on that jersey.
5: Yeah, I got called into the first camp in 2003 before the Women's World Cup team. And um, I didn't get a chance to play. I didn't get into the game. And so when that game came in China in 2004, and... April called me up and said, you know, it's your time to shine. Go out there and, and have fun and, and be smart with your touches. And, you know, I just remember going in and, you know, all these emotions and thoughts and my adrenaline was, you know, oh, my God, you can't even really describe it. And, you know, after the game to have, you know, Brandy and Lil and Nia and all those girls that were my mentors and role models, you know, talk to me after the game and, and give me feedback. I mean, that's something that I didn't dream of as a little girl, but to be able to, to do that is pretty, you know, indescribable in terms of, you know, in college aspiring to do that and being able to do that with my heroes, you know, that's, that's one of my favorite moments of of my lifetime is to be able to be on the field with people that I
0: had their posters on my wall. So it was, it was pretty special. It's interesting you talk about that. I saw the 99ers documentary on ESPN um, a couple of months ago and obviously, It had the likes of Christine Lilly and Mirham, players that you've just mentioned. What sort of impact did they have on players your age and young players that were coming through? Was there an air of intimidation because they were so well-known and because they had created such a legacy? Or were they players that made you feel a part of things almost instantly? Well, of course, they're extremely intimidating. You know, to
5: finally be in with you know the players that were on my wall—they weren't real to me. They were just you know celebrities and and my mentors and heroes. And so, my first interaction with them, you know, for them, it's like, oh, here comes another 19-year-old, you know, young girl. And um, you know, they weren't intimidating just because of who they are, but they're 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 special people. They've they changed my life. They changed my perspective on everything. They changed my attitude, my my motivation, my the way I look at things. They changed it all for me. And, you know, um, Christine Lilly and I are, are very, very close friends. We were captains together, and, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, she barely said five words to me, but that's how much she impacted me is how hard she worked. She didn't have to say much, you know, what she did on the field and what she coming up to me and inviting me to a basketball game. To me, that meant the world to me. And, and Mia him, you know, her work ethic and the what she did on the field and, and Brandy and Julie Foudy, who would digest everything with me after practice and teach me, you know, what I could have done there, I mean, those are memories I'll never forget, and to be able to learn from them and play with them and see what they did on and off the field and how they impacted the game, that changed my perspective, and still to this day, I was just out on the field with Brandy today talking to her, and, you know, I feel really lucky to have those women show me what it's like to be... You know, not only the best in what they did, but just special people. And I just always promised um, myself that I would do what I can to try to impact the game to anywhere close to what they've done. And I'll never be, and I'll never have the resume that they've had, but I'll just try to change and do what I can to help this game grow like they did.
0: Well, you mentioned Christine Lee there a few times. I saw an interview with you um, a few years ago, and you mentioned that Christine was the best player that you played with and that Kelly Smith was the best player that you'd played against. Obviously you ended up playing together at Boston. Tell me some of the things that you learned from Christine and Kelly that, that was sort of influential on your game and give us a little bit of insight into Kelly being an English based show. We'd like to know some of the stories you might have there. Yeah. Well,
5: you know, playing with Lil and and Kelly 2010 in Boston was really special. Um, Christine Lilly is just, Day in and day out, she just is so impressive, Um, she was so fit, her touch was always on, she never had a rusty day, Uh, she did the things over and over and over, it's almost like it was just, she's a machine and she's fun to play with, she demands more from me, she makes everybody around her look better. She lifts the group up, but she demands more. Um, every time we would run fitness, she always made us do another one. It was never, it always pushed me to do more and to do better. It was almost like I was, i couldn't be satisfied with what I did, and she always encouraged us to, to be better, and I'll never forget that. And, and, and to play with her on the national team and then to play pro with her was really special. Um, and then Kelly Smith. Um, you know, playing against her, and you know, I I say her before Marta because Kelly is this most dynamic uh, player in terms of soccer-wise. How smart she is! I mean, she is so difficult to play against. She's deceptive. She's quick. She can do things with the ball that nobody can do. She played like a boy in a lot of ways. Her her soccer sense is just at another level, and she can score goals. She can like that killer pass and. She's just playing against her in the Women's World Cup for the first time. When my job was to make sure she didn't do anything, that was a that was a heavy duty to take on for my team and and to play against her and, and to know it was you know in hand for that to play that game um, and then to play with her in Boston and day in and day out and her body was you know hurting that year, but to learn from her and watch her play and she just made everyone around her be better and she's just so darn competitive and all she wanted to do was win and and she wanted winners on her team and to play with her and Lil that same season was, was really special.
0: You mentioned the World Cup there in 2007, it obviously didn't quite go to plan for the US but would you say that that was the highlight of your career to go and play in that tournament in China?
5: won a world championship with my under-19s and I won, you know, a college national championship here, which were really incredible, but, you know, playing a World Cup and uh, to have that, you know, happen and, and you know, being the national anthem and knowing that you're playing in a World Cup is, is pretty amazing and, you know, that World Cup, I'll we'll never forget and a lot, for a lot of reasons, and of course, we would have loved to win gold, and it didn't work out the way we did, but I learned so much about myself, and about my teammates, and about life, and being a pro, and everything from that World Cup, and those memories At my family in China for four weeks, and, and, and that group of players was really special, having some of the older ones around still, and having a lot of the younger newbies, so yeah i would say that's one of the highlights of my
0: career for sure obviously yeah. your career has been impressive i know you said you don't have the cv of a christine lily or a mirham but 61 caps for the us is certainly no mean feat i would imagine now the question that most people would want to ask is what now for leslie osborne what now going forward
5: yeah so um you know i'd love to play in olympics and that was one thing i i told myself um you know, I'd like to play one more Olympics, that would be amazing because I, I got cut from 2004 and then I tore my ACL. So um, for me to walk away now, um, I'm I'm happy with my career. I feel I've done a lot. Um, I didn't do everything I could have done, but I did a lot and I tried to impact the game and help the game grow and help be the best player I could become. And. After my two injuries in 2008, um, having the five-hour surgery and having my whole left leg reconstructed, um, I never thought I'd play another day of professional soccer. So these last five years, I've been preparing for my next step. Um, That injury, those injuries allowed me to do other things I've always wanted to do. I've gotten into TV. I've done charity work. I've been part of boards for Foundations. I've done... Marketing for my professional team. I help fundraise to keep the Boston Breakers alive. Um, I've done. I'm now a business owner with um, some of other professional soccer players. that just started a business that everybody will hear more of soon. And um, I had an opportunity last uh, season when I was uh, flying home from Portland, the Lions game, to come interview here for an associate athletic director position. At Santa Clara University, and they needed me to start or whoever July first, and I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to walk away from my team and end my season and retire from the game of soccer like that. So I came back and played my last season in Chicago, knowing that I would probably come back here. And take an opportunity and, and retire, and it's it's just the right timing. I always want to end. I always wanted to end on a high. I never wanted to end on a major injury, and I think after 2008, that injury, um, to go through something like that again would be extremely, extremely difficult. And so, I'm healthy. I'm in a good spot. Um, I've got a great opportunity in front of me, and um, I'm ready for the next stage in my life. You know, both as a person but also professionally to,
0: to move on in my career The
1: Women's Football Podcast
5: Want more views from those in the game?
1: Read the blog at
5: the wfblog.wordpress.com.
1: Leslie Osborne there and on behalf of the Women's Football Podcast we would like to wish Leslie all the very best in her new retirement and wherever she ends up going we wish you the very best of luck and Kieran that brings us to the end of the show Sadly. Yeah, it's
0: been been a goodie, mate. Been a goodie. Some good guests on this one. So thank you very much to them for for coming on board.
1: Absolutely. However, we've, of course, got to rattle off all the contact details where you can find us. You can find us on Twitter at WFPod. You can find us on Gmail if you want to send us an email at WFPod at gmail.com. We're on Sport Lobster, although we really, really should update that, which is sportlobster.com forward slash WFPod. Kieran, do you want to give them the blog details?
0: Yeah, the blog is the WFblog.wordpress.com. We have got some entries going up over the next week or two, so do please check back. And Obviously, the next show will be our anniversary show. Now. Wow. We've been doing bad boy for a whole year.
1: <laughs> Fantastic stuff. That should be a cracking show, I hope. We better get planning on that, by the way
0: yeah we had we'll try and get some good guests on so uh, stay tuned for that one in a couple of weeks
1: yeah until then see you later all
0: the women's football podcast shining a light on the women's game